Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the last message of this wonderful college conference. Uh, we thank the Lord for all his marvelous speaking to us in the last three messages. And maybe I would like to begin this message by telling you a story. I came here in the fall of 1988 to UT, and by the Lord's mercy, I met the brothers and sisters there. And they began to take care of me, and very soon I was meeting with the church. And in one of the church meetings, uh, one of the older brothers was sharing something about God's building. And then he turned to me and asked me this question. He said, Jose, what are you? And I remember, I was still a new one coming into the church life, okay? So I responded, we full of boldness and I feel with the spirit of God upon me. I said, I am a living stone. And, you know, you can imagine this, everybody in that meeting, two or 300 brothers and sisters, they all said, hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen. Because this new one realized he's becoming a living stone, right? Well, I was so happy. But then at the end of that meeting, another brother, also an older brother, came to me and said something like this. He said, Jose, maybe next time you can say, I'm a living stone for God's building. And I couldn't quite understand why he said that. Now let me ask you, is there anything wrong with what I said, I'm a living stone? Not at all. God wants to regenerate us. He wants to transform us so that we become precious living stones, right? But there is a reason for that. God's purpose does not stop there. Why? Because he also has a need. And his need is to have a dwelling place for his rest and satisfaction. So this brings us to our topic today. There is an issue of Christ being life to man. You know, in John chapter 3 and on, there are nine cases to illustrate that Christ's life can meet man's every need. But the Gospel of John does not end with chapter 11. Probably, if we have a Gospel of John of only 11 chapters, we will be happy. Because at the end, he resurrected Lazarus. He overcame, the Lord Jesus overcame the last enemy that is death. Wonderful. But there is an issue of Christ being life to us and meeting our every need. And that is something for the Lord's pleasure and for the Lord's satisfaction. So for 11 chapters, the Lord has proven that he can meet every need. And now, when we come to chapter 12, now there is something about meeting his need. Okay? So... <clears throat> Let me read the first few verses of 
John chapter 12. You have this in your outline. Verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Therefore they made him a supper there. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of the ones reclining at table with him. Then Mary took a pound of ointment of very valuable pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the ointment. That house, according to Matthew 26, and also in Mark 14, was not the house of Lazarus, but it was the house of Simon the leper. It says, now when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper. Please underline, if you can, all these different names, because they are signs that will help us to understand this precious portion of the Gospel of John. Jesus, Bethany, a supper, Martha, Lazarus, Mary, ointment, anointed, and the house was filled with the fragrance. So, <clears throat> To be sure, chapter 12 stands alone as the conclusion of all the previous nine cases. And it unveils to us a very pleasant matter. It is a miniature of the church life with Martha, Lazarus, and Mary together with the Lord enjoying a feast. Just like a number of the watch parties right now, you know, I'm sure you are in a home centered on Christ with your fellow Jesus lovers there. And probably you had a meal, a nice breakfast, so you were feasting and you have rest and satisfaction. So pleasant. But I want you to pay attention to something. Chapter 12 follows the raising up of Lazarus. And this signifies that the church life that the Lord wants is the issue of him being the resurrection. That's why the scene here in this chapter, in the verses I just read, is so pleasant. And the atmosphere is so fragrant. Because everything there is the issue of the resurrection. So... We will make a serious mistake if we think that we can have the church life described in John 12 just out of our natural life. Uh, the church life as revealed in this portion of the scripture is possible only in Christ as our resurrection life. So you have to pay attention to the sequence. This house in Bethany, something that the Lord is yearning for, Something for his pleasure and his satisfaction is the issue of Christ being resurrection. Okay? 
So let us now consider some of aspects of this wonderful, sweet church life. Okay. First of all, uh, I want you to realize that this miniature of the church life as a house of feasting is outside of religion. It was not in Jerusalem, which was, you know, a few miles away from Bethany. It was not in the holy temple, the holy city, but it was in Bethany, a place of feasting, rest, and satisfaction for the Lord and also for his believers. So you have there the verses John eleven fifty three. From that day, therefore, they took counsel. These are the scribes, the chief priests. They took counsel to kill him, to kill Jesus. And so Matthew 21, 17, and leading them, he went out of the city of Bethany and lodged there. Of course, they are, they are conspiring to kill him. How can he stay there? But praise the Lord, he found a place, right? What a contrast. Uh, in Bethany, the Lord found this place for his rest, for his satisfaction. And in the holy city, Jerusalem, all these guys, the priests and the scribes, are plotting how to kill Jesus. Okay? Verse 11, chapter 11. Not only that, look at in your outline, you have this verse. Chapter 12, verse 10. And the chief priest took counsel to kill Lazarus also. So, in chapter 11, they want to kill Jesus. Right? In chapter 12, they want to kill Lazarus. Why? Okay. I want you to see a couple of verses. Uh... In your New Testament, or just write it down. Uh, chapter 11, verse 45 in the Gospel of John. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come to Mary and beheld the things that he did, believed into him. So, here are the many Jews, and now they are believing because they saw the things that Jesus was doing. Okay? That's why they wanted to kill Jesus. Now, let's move to chapter 12. Because on account of him... Many of the Jews went away and believed into Jesus. Both verses, 11.45 and 12.11. In both verses, you have many of the Jews, many of the Jews. And in both verses, you have believed into him, into Jesus, and then believed into Jesus, both. But there is a difference, and I want you to see that. In chapter 11, why are they living, you know, the Jewish teaching and rituals and traditions and coming to Jesus because they beheld Jesus. Jesus is the factor of their belief. But what about in chapter 12? It's not Jesus. The verse says, because on account of him, small, small age, that is Lazarus. Lazarus was the factor for many of the Jews to believe in Jesus. And you know what today? You are a Lazarus. You are the factor for your families, your relatives, your friends to believe into Jesus. Actually, if you are in a watch party, turn to your neighbor and tell him, you are Lazarus, right? I was a Lazarus, right, to my family. Right now, my sister, my Lou, and my brother Paco are meeting with the saints in the district where I meet, and they are enjoying Christ together because there was a Lazarus in my family. So I became a Lazarus to my parents who are now with the Lord, to my siblings, so many people. You are a Lazarus. You are the factor for a number of people to believe. 
but that just happened in the realm outside of religion. So you are a living testimony of what the Lord said in, the, in chapter 11. I am the resurrection and the life. Okay? So, point number two, this church life is produced by the resurrection life. John 12, 2 says, but Lazarus was one of the ones reclining at table with him. Lazarus is there as a sign that the church that the Lord is longing for is produced not by man's organization, not by man's wisdom or work or doing. It's not produced by man's teaching. It's the issue of the resurrection life. So we all were dead people, right? Ephesians chapter 2 tells us we were dead in our offenses and sins. But the Lord one day, praise the Lord, he came and resurrected us. And now we became a group of people, right? A group of clean sinners, right? Just like Simon the leper. And now we are meeting as the church for the Lord's pleasure and satisfaction. This brings us to the next point. Number three, composed of clean sinners. Matthew 26, 6. Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. You know, for a while, I thought that that house in Bethany was the house of Lazarus. But then I, I discovered in the other Gospels that actually was the house of a leper who had been healed, cleansed by the Lord. Think about it. A leper's house became the meeting place of the church. And we, we are all, we were all lepers, but we were cleansed, we were healed by the Lord, and our homes become the meeting place of the church. So I know, I know, you know, my, my, you know, my group of students with whom I meet regularly, they are in a house, right, Isaac, and all the brothers with you, they are in Tino's house. Now, you all, my brothers, turn to Tino and tell him, Tino, you're a, you're a Simon, right? Simon, tell him, Simon, thank you for inviting us to your home, for opening your home, and I was here, right? That's the house in Bethany, right? And Bethany means a house of affliction. And this brings us to the next point. Number four, hourly poor and afflicted. John chapter 12, verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. So, according to the divine revelation given to us in this chapter, the church life is hourly poor and afflicted. So here we are, here, here we have the dear saints meeting in a leper's house. And yes, hourly they are poor and afflicted, but inwardly they are feasting in and with the presence of the Lord. And it is so striking that the Lord Jesus, the very God in the flesh, went to a little house, not to the holy temple, not to the holy city, but to a little house in Bethany to have his church life. Just consider, at the same time 
when the Lord Jesus is in the little house in Bethany, all the services in the holy temple and all the priests with their garments and regalia is going on. And many were attracted to that scene. But God was not drawn to that. Right? God himself in the sun, he went to a little house in Bethany to have his church life in a home meeting full of love and the fragrance of resurrection. Okay? So we have to consider, brothers and sisters, which way will we take? The way of facade, that is the way of our natural religious concepts, the way that is so cherished in the religious world, or we will open our hearts to the Lord, right? And uh, to the way that the scriptures reveal in this section, that is coming together, centered on Christ, pouring ourselves on him and serving him and testifying that he is the resurrection. And we believe that the Lord has not changed his preference, his desire for the genuine church life as the expression of his body. So what will we do? Within us, in our spirit, is a divine longing for this kind of church life. But unfortunately, in our mind, we have all these religious concepts and our religious nature that incline us to take another way, the way that appreciates formality, display, hierarchy, and many other things. You know, brothers and sisters, to me, this is not a theory. I was raised for more than 20 years in a religious family and environment. But by the Lord's mercy, and by my loving the Lord and the members of his body, I was willing to turn from my natural choice to the way ordained by God, to the way blessed by God, and to the way portrayed by God in this precious portion of the word in John chapter 5. And now, you know, after all these years, after more than 30 years, I can really sing, never did I dream before. Such a place could never be found. I have been here meeting in this simple way for more than 30 years. And my experience is really described in the next point, inwardly feasting in the presence of the Lord. That's where I was brought into more than 30 years ago. That's where I want you to come into, right? To a life of inwardly feasting in the presence of the Lord. John 12, 2 says, Therefore they made him a supper there. A supper. You know, a brother was telling us before this meeting that this may be the only place where it says that the disciples made him a supper. You know, many times the Lord fed them. In John chapter 6, he fed them. And in other times, he fed the multitudes. 
He made breakfast for the disciples. He met your need. But now you are meeting his need. You make supper for him. Right? So, yes, there was outwardly, there, was, there is nothing attractive, right? But inwardly, that house in Bethany was filled with feasting, resting, and being satisfied. In this kind of church life, we have the sweet sensation that we are one with the Lord and that the Lord is with us. He is feasting with us. We are feasting with him. He is resting. We are resting. He is satisfied and we are satisfied. This is the virtue of the genuine, proper church life. And that's what the Lord wants to bring you. Look at the next verse, Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 4. He brought me into his banqueting house, and his banner over me is love. Where does he bring you? You know, into his banqueting house. That, you have to be honest, this doesn't sound like a religious meeting, right? It's a banqueting house, right? That's he is, the Lord does not want you to bring you into a religious meeting. He wants to bring you into a banqueting house, right? And his banner over me is love. He's like that thing. His banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. He brought me into his banqueting house, and his banner over me is love. Right? And then the next uh, uh, stanza says, um, His fruit is sweet unto my taste. His fruit is sweet unto my taste. I'm feasting here in his banqueting house, and his fruit is sweet unto my taste. How sweet, how sweet. His fruit is sweet unto my taste. I'm feasting here in his banqueting house. And his food is sweet unto my taste. That's my experience. That has to be the church life. He brings us into a banqueting house to enjoy Christ. Listen, more than 30 years ago when I came here, even though I grew up in a religious environment back in Mexico, I never heard about enjoying Christ. But listen, write down this quote. The Christian life is a life of enjoying Christ all the time. Again, the Christian life is a life of enjoying Christ all the time. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 says, So then, let us keep the feast. Brothers and sisters, welcome to a life of let us keep the feast. Right? The feast here is a time for the enjoyment of the banquet. So the entire Christian life should be a life of enjoying Christ all the time, of keeping this Please, right? Well, next point, number six. This church life has members with different functions. And these are indicated or signified by Martha, Lazarus, and Mary. The serving function there is with Martha, right? Now, don't condemn Martha. You need Martha to prepare your lunch, right? You know, after I share at 12.30, we're going to be announced here in Austin, we're going we're gonna to have a, a grill and chill. Okay? How about this, Isaac, and all the brothers with you in that house with Tino? How about just chill, no grill? 
I'm a chill, just chill, but no grief. But think that, oh, you know, there are some Martas right now. They are here outside preparing uh, all things. They, they have everything to grill the meat and prepare a banquet, a feast for you. So we need Marta. Uh, we cannot live without Marta's function. So do not look down on Marta. We really need and appreciate her function. Then we have Lazarus. He's testifying, right? You all have to testify how good the Lord is, how he has met your need. This function is extremely important because it's attractive and brings others to Jesus, right? Then we have Mary, loving, and we will get more into, into this in the next uh, point. So, but we all need to be, or to have these three functions. What functions? Serving. Then we have testifying and loving the Lord with our best love. So in this sense, we all have to be triangular members, right? Triangular members. So we need the corner of Martha serving, the corner of Lazarus testifying, and the corner of Mary loving the Lord with our best love. We have to be triangular members. I know there are many other things to do in the church, many other functions, right? But these three, for sure, we all have to have. So you are a triangular member. Tell your neighbor, hey, hey neighbor, you are a triangular member, right? So serving, testifying, and loving the Lord Jesus, okay? Now we come to a big point, uh, number seven, being a unique place. The proper genuine church life is the place to pour out everything on the Lord. And this is the goal of the gospel. This is a big point. I do have a lot of feeling for this point. And may the Lord flow uh, at this time as we uh, dive deep into this point, okay? Well, consider this. While the religious people were seeking the opportunity to kill Jesus, just consider the religious people, right, are seeking the opportunity to kill him. Mary sought the opportunity to express her love for the Lord. I hope you are like Mary. You are seeking for opportunities to express your love for the Lord. Let us read the next verse, John 12, 3. Then Mary took a pound of ointment of very valuable pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, you know, you would think that when the disciples saw this, they rejoiced, right? When they saw Mary doing this. Look at what the verse, the next verse says, Matthew 26, 8. But when the disciples saw it, they were indignant saying, why this waste? Could you believe? We're going to get into this in a little while. Why this waste? I, I just, you read this, you cannot believe that the disciples said that. But anyhow, the footnote there, <clears throat> let me read to you. It's a precious one. I hope you remember it, you memorize it. The disciples considered Mary's love offering to the Lord a waste. This is not a theory to me. Actually, that word, it brings some sweet recollections to me. You know, when I finished my PhD, I already was lined up for a job with a major pharmaceutical company here in the U.S. 
But before I finished the PhD, the Lord touched me. He showed me his beauty, how worthy he is. And my heart changed. I, I wanted to serve him for the rest of my life. So when I finished the PhD and everything was ready, <clears throat> I went to my advisor's office in the College of Pharmacy. And I told him, basically, I am not going to take that job. Um, why? <laughs> because I want to serve the Lord full time. And you know, you can imagine, you know, the surprise, the anger, um, trying to convince me. We spent at least an hour there in his office. And at the end, you know, after he saw I wasn't changing, <laughs> he said, for the reason I think you're a waste. That's what he said to me. I think you're a waste. So this word to me, it brings sweet recollections. Um, it says throughout the past 20 centuries, thousands of precious lives, hard treasures, high positions, and golden future have been, quote, quote, wasted upon the Lord Jesus. To those who love him in such a way, he's altogether lovely and worthy of their offering. What they have poured upon him is not a waste, but a fragrant testimony of his sweetness. So when I share my experience with you, don't look at my quote-unquote generosity. No, look at the Lord. He is the one who is worthy. Don't look at Mary's and don't look at the 300 denarii. Look at the Lord. You know, so when we share these experiences, it's not that you will look at us. No, we're nothing. But, but this indicates how precious and how worthy the Lord is, right? You know, if it, even if it is 3,000 denarii or 3 million denarii, that's nothing compared to the Lord Jesus. He's so precious. He's so worthy. And, you know, <clears throat> what Mary did, that's why the Lord charged his disciples to wherever this gospel is preached, they also include this loving story. As we can see in the following verse, truly I say to you, whatever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done shall also be told as a memorial of her. Right? Okay, so let us get into that. You know, concerning the gospel. Unfortunately, the gospel is preached, but is preached without including the story of Mary, right? The gospel that is without Mary's story is a gospel that only satisfies men to be forgiven, to be justified, to be saved from eternal perdition, to receive eternal life and blessings. But listen, the goal of the gospel is not only to save sinners, but to make every saved person a lover of Christ. This is the story of Mary, right? That's the gospel. So the goal is not just believers, but lovers. That's the goal of the gospel. Not just believers, but lovers of Christ. Those who are willing and happy to pour everything on him, to waste themselves upon the Lord. So the story of the gospel is that the Lord loved us. And the story of Mary is that we love the Lord. And both have to be preached. The Lord loving us is for our salvation. 
but our, our loving the Lord is for our consecration. So the gospel should cause us to live to him and to waste ourselves on him. That's the goal of the gospel. And in this sense, in this sense, listen to this, the gospel is ultimately for him, not for us. In this section of the, of the world, maybe the only section where you can see that ultimately the gospel is for Christ and not only for us, right? So what is the goal of the gospel? Is that we love the person of Christ. It's not the profit that we receive. He met our need. Nine cases, nine cases to meet every need that man has. Now is his need, okay? His desire. So many, for many, salvation is the goal of the gospel. Is the, the goal of their believing, right? They want salvation, but not the Savior. They treasure the work of redemption, but not the Redeemer. And they appreciate the cross of Christ, but they don't love the Christ of the cross, right? But we must see that the goal of the gospel is the person of Jesus Christ. Let us consider Mary in that story. Mary, probably, not from a rich family, right? But to her, the Lord was indeed the most precious one in the universe. So she sees, she grasps the opportunity and anoint the Lord beforehand. So she did not wait until the Lord died. You can read this story in the Gospels. Later on, after the Lord died and resurrected, a number of women went to the grave with the intention to anoint Jesus. But you know what happened? The tomb was empty. He was gone. He had resurrected. They missed the opportunity but not Mary. So, today, brothers and sisters, today is the time for us to seize the opportunity and to waste ourselves on the Lord. Now, there is another thing that Mary did, and it's quite amazing. You know, when the opportunity came, Mary placed her glory at the Lord's Jesus' feet. According to the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 11, 15, for a woman, her hair is her glory. Now let me ask you something. What is your glory? And are you willing to place it at the feet of Jesus? You know, when Mary did that, and when Mary poured everything on the Lord, Judas, he felt. That was what Mary was doing was a waste. And so he reasoned like this. You know, there are plenty of poor people. Why not rather giving this to the poor or use money to do some kind of social work? Why wasting all this at the feet of Jesus? That's how the world reasons. They say, what are you wasting so much of your time and life in this Jesus thing? Can you find something better to do with yourself and your life? Or they will say to some of you, what, what are you going to waste two years of your life going to that Bible school? That's, that's a waste. Right? Listen, to Judas, not only was ointment a waste, 
eating water will have been a waste, right? You know the story in Acts chapter 19, after, you know, Paul had preached the gospel to the Ephesians, and many who practiced magic brought their books of magic and burned them all. And they counted how, how much those books were worth. And you know what was it? 50,000 pieces of silver. Guess what Judas would say, would say if he had been there. He would have said, why this waste? 50,000 pieces of silver, right? Well, anyhow, that's the view. That's the eyes of worldly economics. In the eyes of worldly economics, Judas was better than Mary. But let me tell you something. You know, the Lord would rather see the church filled with Polish Marys than see one wise Judas in the church. Judas said, why this waste? What is a waste? When you give something for something that is worth too little. For instance, I have a highlighted here, okay? If you give me $100 for this highlighter, you're wasting $100 because this thing is not worth $100, right? Consider the words that Judas said. Why this waste? Because to him, Jesus was not that worthy. But what about to us? Oh, Jesus is so precious. He's so worthy. Even 3,000, 3 million denarii is not enough. Nothing compares to him. Why a Christian is willing to sacrifice his all on the Lord Jesus, to waste himself on him, because to him, Christ is everything. It means everything, right? So can any, anything be called a waste when it is applied to the Lord Jesus? Not at all. No. How sad that the disciples that day were influenced. Their mind was poisoned by Judas. That's why they murmured. They were indignant against Mary. Nothing compares to the Lord. He's altogether lovely. He's worth of everything. One PhD, 10 PhDs, 100 PhDs, nothing compares to our precious Lord Jesus. So what did the Lord say about Mary? He said in Mark 14, she has done a noble deed on me. So in the, in the eyes of the world, it was wasteful. It was foolish for Mary to throw away 300 denarii in an instant. But in the eyes of love, nothing is too much. If we are doing it for the Lord's pleasure, and satisfaction. Let me ask you something. Consider this. Would you rather have, or would you rather help the poor at the expense of keeping the Lord's feet from being anointed? Would you do that? I hope not, right? For the past 20 centuries, many precious lives Hard treasures, high positions, and golden futures have been wasted on the Lord as a fragrant testimony of his sweetness. And yet today, it is possible for a person to be in the church and not being wasted. The Lord said that Mary had done 
what she could. Now I ask you, have you done what you can? The, the window of opportunity is still open today. It is a mercy. That the Lord will keep this window open for us. So today is our opportunity. Not only to believe in the Lord, but to love him. And to waste ourselves on him. Many years ago, many years ago, in a home meeting, a young student said this, and I will always remember. He said, how good to be young, because I'm, I still have a golden future. When I am 80 years old, I will not have that much of a future. But now, as I am young, I have a golden future that I can pour on the Lord. So, this is your opportunity. And it is, it, is, it, is, it is a real mercy that the Lord will allow people like you and me to come to him, to anoint his feet, to wipe his feet with our glory. So forget about criticism. Let others criticize you. And do not put the need of the poor in front of the Lord Jesus. Grasp the opportunity to pour your hearts, treasures, your golden futures upon the Lord. He is worthy and you will never regret it. After more than 30 years of following the Lord and loving him and serving him, I can tell you, I, I thank the Lord for his mercy. He led me to a life of no so, um, we do have just a few minutes left. Let me just finish with one point that I feel I need to touch quickly before we stop. Go to your outline and see point nine, uh, point 10, I'm sorry. It says, bringing in many new ones, a prevailing and capturing testimony for the Lord's increase, right? This kind of church life, brings in many new ones. John 12, 11 says, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed into Jesus. So the church life, the church life as portrayed in John chapter 12, the church life that is to meet the Lord's need for a dwelling place for his rest and satisfaction becomes a prevailing and capturing testimony to people. Why? Well, because this genuine church life has two unique elements that human beings throughout the centuries are longing for, even today. And what are these two elements? Number one, reality. Number two, community. Jesus is there. Jesus is our center. We enjoy such a sweet church life in his presence. And he said in John chapter 14, I am the reality. So reality is there. And then number two, community. All those who believe were together, says Acts chapter 2, verse 44. So this is the church life that I am enjoying and you are enjoying. It says, and 
day by day, house to house, partaking of our food with exaltation and simplicity of heart, praising God, and the Lord adds together day by day those who are being saved. So no doubt, this is the church life that we all long for. In a small house, filled with the sweet fragrance of the ointment, with the dear saints resting and being satisfied, and just enjoying this, this uh, atmosphere, sweet, fragrant atmosphere in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Now, I want you to consider this. We have this longing. We long for this kind of church life because the Lord himself longs for this church life. In other words, the longing of the church life is an expression of God's longing and yearning within us. And this longing was imparted into us when we received the divine life at the time of our regeneration. So to conclude, I will say that we, or I, thank the Lord for his mercy to unveil to us the church life that God desires as the issue of Christ's resurrection. And as the result of Christ coming as life to meet man's every 